the biggest thing I took from all three of those places was I'm a woman of diverse background. I was always the first one asking people, do you want to play golf to host a meeting? Or I had the president of one of the teams from La Liga. And when we were closing our deal with him, and I was like, oh, by any chance, do you play golf? And he's like, yes. Great, why don't we host you and take you out onto a golf course? This is me, a foreigner in his country, telling him that I'm gonna take him out to play golf. And he's like, no, 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 I will treat you guys to golf. He's mind blown that I play golf. And I said, of course, I would love to play. Now it's super rusty, but who cares, right? Like I get to have eight hours with the president of the deal that I've just closed, like I'm doing it. We're all human. If my golf game is off, who cares? I get to have time alone with this person. And that to me is what golf does. The touch points and the people I get to meet and the deals I get to close is nothing like you can do in an office. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Cheyenne Gustas, founder and CEO of SJG International and an LPGA certified teacher. With over 10 years of experience in the sport industry, Cheyenne specializes in corporate sponsorship, premium hospitality, customer relations, and event planning. So Cheyenne, thanks for joining me today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you on too. Now, I've been terrible here. I've tried three times to have you on the podcast. Once we met a couple of weeks ago before this whole pandemic thing hit and didn't have a chance to do an interview there. So here we are today. So it's happening. We're making this thing happen. So I'm excited too. You have such this broad wealth of experience here. I'll be honest, I don't quite know where to start. So I'm not going to start with your connectivity to golf. Let's build that up. So why don't you start with when you were young? Because I know you've had a bit of a journey before you came to Canada, came to North America, and started doing all the awesome things uh, with professional sports. So why don't we start there, your personal journey when you were younger? Great. So I was born in Pakistan. I moved to Vancouver with my family, so two brothers and parents. When I was about eight years old, we moved here as immigrants. My parents, we didn't move for anything besides the fact that my parents wanted us to grow up in a place with better education and freedom. And they were actually making a sacrifice because they were leaving all of our family and relatives and their siblings behind in Karachi. They just decided at that time it was it was quite normal for people to immigrate to the U.S. because they had opened the borders. My parents tried and then they realized that, you know what, actually, we rather prefer going to Canada. No specific reason, really, just that's what the gut said. My mom actually did the application. So all my other family friends and things were getting lawyers to do it. And my mom thought, you know what, it takes about six to eight years to get your application even looked at. So she went ahead and she did it. And in a year and a half, she got a response back saying, we would like to interview you. And my dad, he's a civil engineer, was working for a great German company. We were doing really well there, like middle-class family, just happy. And all of a sudden, they started going through the whole process and of interviewing in person and kept passing through all of the different levels. Next thing you know, they're like, uh, I guess we're moving to Canada with our three kids. <laughs> and it was like a strange thing, but the courage that they had to do it, leaving all the comforts of life. I know that sounds crazy to say, like, but from Pakistan, comforts of life, like, what does that mean? 
in a middle-class family, you can have about two nannies, a few people helping clean your house, a gardener, like things that you would think like aristocrats have over here. But that was what it was over there. So they left all of that. They came to Vancouver and my mom had one of her cousins here and tons of cousins in Toronto. But they decided we're just going to stop in Vancouver. If it doesn't make sense, we'll then move to Toronto. So I think in like an immigrant family, you usually go where you know somebody. If it's a family friend or a cousin's cousin's cousin, someone to kind of guide you to help you get settled down. Now, this was in 94. So like no Google, no Internet, like yellow pages was like your source of information. Right. Um, So this is like a while ago, you know? And so, yeah, I give them all the kudos to bring my brothers and I here. And then from there, we ended up going to school, elementary school. And I was a tomboy and loved sports and played tons of them in high school. And really volleyball was my main sport. And in high school, the team I was on were provincial champions. So quite competitive in volleyball. And we lived in an apartment complex where this gentleman came to our house. One of my younger brothers, like, friend's dad came knocking at the door and my mom's like "Uh oh like what has he done is he in trouble and the guy was so nice he's just like I just want to let you know that your younger son is really good at golf I've been taking the young boys in like the back park to chip around and he's the only one that pays attention that gets it he's a natural like xyz and my mom's like oh okay thank you so much <laughs> and like closes the door and then goes to my dad is like he's saying for your son to learn golf my dad's like golf I mean we can teach him cricket or you know like <laughs> right right or like golf like we don't even know what that means I mean my mom's always been a housewife but my dad he had the courage to start his own business and he used to install appliances in people's homes at that time and now he does like home renovations but at that time so he would walk into someone else's house putting in a dishwasher or micro whatever it is fridge but if you might see golf clubs or you might start talking to that person and at that point he ended up going to someone's house who was the president of a country club so my dad saw the golf clubs started having a conversation said the story that I just told you and the guy's like well let me give you some information because we have an amazing junior kids program and my dad's like uh definitely don't have money for this but okay right right at that time it was three hundred dollars for being a junior member for the year amazing that if you put in perspective isn't that much money but remember immigrant parents like okay three hundred dollars like that's money for like groceries for the month or whatever right so my dad said you know what there's got to be something in this and so he just worked extra hard to figure it out that's how my younger brother got into golf and then he got private lessons from a lady at a driving range close to our house and she used to be in the lpga so i think 25 years ago a woman teaching you golf so my brother and i both learned from a woman and she she's a badass to like i don't know if i'm allowed to say on the podcast absolutely you can swear all you want no problem (laughs) she was amazing At that time, we never thought anything different. Like, I never thought, oh, a lady teaching you golf. It didn't even click. But now being in the industry, she was like one of a kind, obviously, because right now we're still pushing for more women to play and more women golfers and more women coaches. And this is like 25 years later. So you can only imagine at that time, all the barriers she had to break in order to anyways, I give her tons of kudos. That's how I got into it. I had sprained my ankle playing volleyball. So I was out for six months. My mom said my brother wanted to quit golf and she wouldn't let him because 
the coach wouldn't let him. She's like, listen, he's really good. He could possibly get a golf scholarship, which means free school. My mom's like, oh, he's staying free school. Like we're making sure he stays. So she was so smart. She's like, Shai, you play all the sports anyways. Just learn a new one. I'm like, ma, I'm almost broken my ankle. I can't move. She's like, instead of the driving range, she just wants company. So that's what I did. And then the competitive spirit in me came out. And I ended up like looking at him and saying, um, you're not listening to her. She said, move your hips. And so then the coach like looks at me and I'm like, pretty sure I can hit it further than him with one foot. Because the other one was in the cast. She's like, okay, come up and show us. And he's like, yeah, show us, you know, the younger brother. So that's how I got into golf. Every Tuesday, I was at the driving range with my younger brother and our coach after that. And then she's the one who actually helped me get a golf scholarship to go to university in the States. Amazing. So this is a crazy little thing here. Of the 75 episodes I've done so far, and I always ask every guest how they got into golf, you are the second in a row that has got into golf, their first experience was at a driving range with either family or friends when they sprained or broke their ankle playing another sport. Our our guest last week, uh, Tin Tran, he did the exact same thing playing basketball. He was quite competitive playing basketball. So my mind's kind of blowing right now. The fact that uh, we've we've got a pattern here. Broken ankles have have caused people to actually get into the golf industry and have a career out of it. That's amazing. We have two. Let's let's see if next week's guest has the same thing. If not, maybe I'll just make it up and say that's the case. So so that's amazing. So it sounds like your father inspired you as an entrepreneur also. It sounds like the woman, could you mention her name? Her her name's Taryn. She goes by Coach TJ. You should actually get her on the podcast. She has tons of stories from like 35 or 40 years of experience. She has an academy called Zone Golf Academy. She was also the one who got me into teaching. Long story about that. I helped her for a year with her academy and it's great. She mostly focuses on young kids. So I would say under 18 and she's like the queen of getting them scholarships in the States. Like she has all the contacts for Ivy League schools and everybody in America. So if anyone's listening and has a young kid and lives in Vancouver, yeah, Zone Golf Academy, look it up. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll make a point. Usually I wait till the end of the podcast episode to do this, and I will say it then, but we will make sure that not only included some contacts and links for you of how people can find out more about all you do, Cheyenne, but for her also. She still has amazing people that are there helping coach. So good. So good. So you went to school on a golf scholarship where? And how? what was that experience like? So I went to a small private school in West Palm Beach, so random, called Northwood University. And it's an NAIA school. Unfortunately, the West Palm Beach campus no longer exists because Kaiser University has bought it over. Kaiser is an online school, but that is their only flagship school. If anyone also wants to know, they have an amazing golf program. You can study golf and you get certification from the LPGA and you get to learn how to build and make clubs. Like it's amazing. Cool. So University. I went there, got a golf scholarship. Crazy story. I actually switched my scholarship to tennis and I ended up playing tennis for four years instead of golf. But I went there and then I went to University of Central Florida in Orlando and I got my master's there in sports management and business. Got it. So let's use that as a kind of a springboard for the next part of your career. So once you got your master's in sports management, tell us a bit about what you did for the next 10 years or so in the sport industry. I've got it here in front of me. It's quite diverse as far as some of the awesome things you've done. So rather than me tell the story, why don't you tell us all the things you've done before you then came full circle and got into the golf industry where you are now. So tell us about that experience. 
For the past 10 years, and still currently also on the side, I've worked in the professional sports world. So what does that mean? Sports teams. So after I graduated from the DeVos Sports Business Management Program at Central Florida, I ended up getting an internship with the Orlando Magic, so in the NBA. And that internship was being a tour coordinator. So everyone's like, what does that entail? Well, they were building a brand new arena. They were building Amway Center. So they needed somebody to have the skill set to bring in VIPs during the construction site. So Amway Center is being built. So every day there's like construction going on. And the mayor or specific VIP guests were given a tour of the inside of the building being built out. And so they needed one person, designated person to do that. So here I am, Cheyenne Gustas applies after four interviews, which was insane, but amazing at the same time. I got the job and my friends and people at my master's program were making fun of me because they told me that was so Disney. Remember, I'm in Orlando. Right, right. Oh, tours. That's so Disney. We're getting a double master's and you're going to do this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm Canadian. I need someone to sponsor me in order for me to stay in America longer if I still want to keep working in the sports industry. So wherever I go, I just have to work my butt off in order to be recognized, in order for them to sponsor me. The Americans are lucky. They can apply for whatever jobs they want. But I was like very focused. Anyways, I thought this was great. I thought I love being around people. I'm going to meet people. And this is my way in. Either the Orlando Magic are my target for sponsorship or the city of Orlando own the building. So I was like trying to figure out who would try and help me out. It was 11 months paid, which was great. I was going up and down scaffolding in hard hat and boots with like a bright neon vest. I was taking in like presidents of Pepsi and high corporate America presidents because they wanted to see the space in order for potential sponsorship deals with someone from the Magic who obviously was part of the sponsorship team. I met the mayor of Orlando, Buddy Dyer, like a million times because he was bringing in VIPs and guests and local community people to showcase the building during the construction site. He's an amazing guy tons of people that were being assigned to me by my boss at that time to be like hey so and so is going to come in but people loved it and you got a really great experience of what the build out was going to be and I had visuals in my hand so I would have this little book and I'd be like and over here you can have your sponsorship name Bud Light or Pepsi or whoever it was you can have it over here and then over here these are where the fans are going to be sitting and I would flip the page and show them the like the visual of what they're going to build out it was great In hindsight, yeah, people were making fun of me, very Disney, but I got to meet some very influential people in Orlando at that time. I was going to say, it sounds like, yeah, you had the opportunity there to network. For an hour, they were with me and whoever invited them. So it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But at that same time, that's when I met a member of the DeVos family. The DeVos family owned the Orlando Magic. Now, as you can imagine, when the ownership group comes to any sporting team or any job, any owner comes, you know, people are kind of like stressed, a little bit more tense than they need to be, or they want to showcase it in a perfect, beautiful manner, which is right. So everyone around me was quite stressed out. Owners are coming, owners are coming, we have to make this place or whatever. So the ownership came with a few of their kids 
And to me, I was just being myself because this is what I was doing for 11 months, you know, showcasing the building. So I was making it fun and using my personality. And over here, we're going to have this. (laughs) And really cool, fun fact, they have a playground in the arena. So I saw the kids and that's where I took them. Like, we're going to have Steph's Magic Castle over here. There's going to be like Nintendo and Xbox and this and that. So the kids can play while the parents are watching the game and you can grab a beer and just fully selling it to the owners. I'm like, they probably know what's going on, but me being young and just loud. (laughs) So one of the family members went to our CEO and said, we really like her. We would like her to be the main point of contact for the family when we come into town for games. Wow. Amazing. The owner of the team for three years in Orlando and I reported to the CEO. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had and a lot of learning, tons of learning. So I'm sure all your fellow students weren't making fun of you then that it was just uh, so Disney, right? (laughs) Gotta love that. Absolutely. But it was just like a mindset. Young mindset was we're going to get out of grad school. We're going to get a job and they're going to pay us $80,000 because we have a double master's. And that was the mindset. And this is during recession, hey? This is too Right, <laughs> right, right. And I think right there, before we get into more of your entrepreneurial journey here, for everybody out there in business and entrepreneurship, once again, it's about just putting yourself out there and see what happens. And then that opportunity presented itself. And if you weren't hustling, you weren't putting that smile on your face, and I've been with you in public and crowds, and you are infectious. Your energy level is amazing. And- uh, and I can see why people would give you those opportunities. And yeah, so just once again, that, that entrepreneurial lesson out there is like, just put yourself out there. Don't wait for the, the perfect moment because there is no perfect and just see what happens. Then hopefully have the awareness to see when opportunity presents itself to uh, take that step and open the door and walk through it. And you certainly have. So what is the next door that you then opened over the next couple of years? So just to like go back on that real quick, also just like be yourself. I could have been like everybody else stressed that the owners were coming and be super tense and uptight and stress out about the fact that we had to showcase the building and it better be in perfect condition. Or I just said, this is what the situation is. Be yourself and have a good time with them. They're human in the end. And people, I think, forget that. Celebrities, owners, really wealthy people, we put them on this crazy pedestal, but they are human beings. They cry as well as when they're happy and they get mad. Same feelings we have. So that's always been something that was taken through every job. So the next journey I end up going to is London. I end up going to London with no job. Being Canadian, you can apply for a two-year working visa there, a youth mobility visa. So my older brother had done that. He loved it. And his visa was ending. So I'm like, you know what? I am now going to take a leap of faith and go try something different. Let me go see Europe. It just seems a little bit more relaxed. So working in sports in the U.S., It's intense in the sense that there's a lot of pressure. People are functioning at high levels. You don't really get too much time off, as you're aware, like two weeks. You have to answer emails in the evening. It's a go, go, go. I loved it. I thought that I was on top of the world. I was fully answering emails at 2 and 3 in the morning. But to me, it was like normal because I loved it. I didn't think it was work. But then when going to Europe and doing a completely 360 twist, I ended up working for Arsenal, which is a soccer team or a football team over there in the Premier League. And I didn't have to answer my emails after 5 p.m. 
I could have, but if I didn't, I wasn't going to get like a major taboo or like a point against me for not doing it. And I even had a work phone, but my boss was amazing. She said work-life balance. So she didn't answer it. She's like, I'm leaving at five, not answering my phone. Unless it's a crazy emergency, I'll take a look at my phone once at like before I go to bed, just to scroll, but everything else can wait for the next day. So I went from working 130 to 150 events a year in Orlando to working like 30 games a year in London. Oh, I was in heaven. Wait, so you actually had a life then. Wow, what a a thing. But the difference is there is always a learning curve in every new job. So different country, different culture, understanding their terminology and things like We're not calling it elevator anymore. We're calling it a lift. It's not a cell phone. It's a mobile. So when you're talking to the customers there, I always try to use their language, right? To try and blend in as best as I could. Obviously, my accent's different than theirs. And they would straight up call me out on it. Where are you from? You're you're not in it, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I'm Canadian. So they love that because I was Canadian. So that was a bonus. There was tons of learning curves for me in London, just like terminology wise. I also told a guy I loved his pants. Oh my God. Everyone in the office walked and looked at me and I was like, oh my God, do people not give compliments here? Like, is that not a thing? Yeah. Pants are underwear in the UK. <laughs> I told him I liked his underpants essentially. Amazing. Perfect. There we have it. <laughs> Good job. Well, you didn't do that one twice, I'm sure. That was a... <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but yeah, Arsenal was amazing. Worked there for two years. I worked in what they call the Diamond Club, which is like a private members club within the stadium. So you get Michelin star food served to you. You have obviously the best service. You have tons of access to the players and to the coach. We hosted tons of events. In professional sports, that's where you want to be. It is the top of the top uh, in terms of hospitality and service. So I was extremely honored to work there. There's extremely wealthy people that fly in just to watch the game and fly back out. So it was that clientele. I got to meet lords and ladies and Saudi princes. And again, learned about how do do you shake a hand? Are you kissing twice? Are you from Switzerland? So you're kissing three times. Things they won't teach you in school, like how to greet somebody from a different country, that's not taught in school. Right. So it was wonderful. And then hopefully didn't compliment any lords on how much you like their pants. No, I learned that after day two at Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> See, a learning opportunity. So there you go. I love your storytelling. You can tell stories all day here. Let's let you go. Uh, But the fact, I know you've had some experience also with the NFL and the NHL and also the U.S. Tennis Association. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that, but what I would like to move to, the fact you've got this unique lens to view golf, both the LPGA Tour, recreational golf, through all the other sports that you've been involved with. So eventually I'd like you to get to sharing your insights, your thoughts of how not only professional golf, but even recreational golf could connect with more people and the kind of the learnings you've had from other sports, both professional and recreational, of how you can then distill that and infuse that into golf. But before that, what, yeah, why don't you tell us about some of your other experiences there with professional sports? So I've kind of dabbled into a lot of sports. I would say baseball probably isn't one of the other major sports I have not dabbled into, but I would say the other professional major ones I have. Okay. I love dabbling because I think it's the best way to understand, do you like it? Do you not like it? 
and it'll tell you really fast if this is for you or it's not. And people are quite scared to jump around, but I've done a lot of it. I've done just testing as when I was younger, like internships. I highly recommend everyone in college or a couple years out do tons of internships to see what you love. Sometimes you don't know. Some people know exactly what they want. I was one of those free spirits. I'm like, I'll try this and now I'll try that. So speaking about that, when I came back from London, back to Vancouver, I started my own business, SJG International, and one of my contracts was to go to Spain. So this is part of being La Liga. So that's their version of soccer over there. So I was the head of sponsorship for six teams in Spain. That was a whole different culture shock because I didn't speak the language. So not only am I in a foreign country, which I've never been in, in Barcelona, but now I don't speak the main language. So no, I'm español, no? No, a poquito. <laughs> and their Spanish is different, right? Like the Caribbean Spanish is different than like the Spain Spanish. Absolutely. Um, so either way, like not only are you trying to do a good job where you are, but now there's a whole language barrier along with cultural barriers. So Spain's amazing. They take a full hour, hour and a half break. They are very chill. They're eating dinner at nine and 10 o'clock at night. Yep. You really get to feel the 24 hours in a day when you're living there. So if you are a very high functioning human being, like going from the magic, if I went straight from the magic to Spain, I don't know what I would have done with myself. But because <laughs> I had a buffer, I would just complained a lot. To be honest, I would have constantly complained on how nobody in Spain gets anything done in my head at that time. But because I had a buffer of living in London and experiencing different cultures and people there, I understood that, oh, you can really enjoy life and work and you don't have to be go, go, go. And to say this, that COVID-19 is kind of teaching us that in a very rude and raw way. Everyone keeps asking me how I've been doing with it. And weirdly, I've kind of already been tested with that living in different countries and just being at home or learning how to stay busy throughout the day. Anyways, it's a whole separate topic. But, right, right. So that was my other experience in La Liga, which I thought was quite cool. And then from there, the biggest thing I took from all three of those places was I'm a woman of diverse background. And I was always the first one asking people, do you want to play golf to host a meeting? Or I was hosting a client or I had the president of one of the teams from La Liga. And when we were closing our deal with him at dinner, I was like, oh, it'd be great to like see you guys again. And I was like, oh, by any chance, do you play golf? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, oh, great. Why don't we host you and take you out onto a golf course? This is me, a foreigner in his country, in his town, telling him that I'm going to take him out to play golf. And he's like, Love it. no, no, no. I will treat you guys to golf. You play. Like he's mind blown that I play golf. And I said, of course, I would love to play. Now it's super rusty, but who cares, right? Like I get to have potentially six hours to eight hours with the president of the deal that I've just closed. Like I'm doing it. And his right-hand man. Shockingly at that time, my CEO declined the offer because he felt like he wasn't good enough at the game. Uh-huh. Huh. And I'm like, ooh, interesting. People's egos are kind of getting in the way. But to me, I was like, nope, we're all human. If my golf game is off, who cares? I get to have time alone with this person. And that to me is what golf does. It doesn't matter what industry you are in, you're working at a restaurant, or are you an entrepreneur, or are you the head of a sporting team? 
whoever you are and whoever you're with, you get alone time for at least four to five hours on the course. Now you go and have drinks after, or if you meet before, the day ends up being a full day. It could be a six to eight hour day. And in that time, you get to know everything. How is his family? Does this person have kids? What are his hobbies? Things that are non-work related. And then your relationship ends up being amazing. So what I took away from learning this amazing game is... I don't have to be a pro. I don't have to be really good. And my handicap doesn't have to be low because I don't get to play all the time. But the touch points and the people I get to meet and the deals I get to close is nothing like you can do in an office. So my office is the golf course. And that is kind of what I have been preaching to a lot of people now. Now, when I was in the corporate world, I didn't see that I was just doing it naturally. And until I had that full stop moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, there is actually a massive connection here, which people are missing. So now I mainly try and focus on women ages like 25 to 45, which is like my demographic in the corporate world, who always get left out of meetings, who get left out of closing deals in finance and insurance and in any industry, really, even entrepreneurs, like if you're having a major slump in business, and you don't know how to generate more revenue or where to meet these people, besides just happy hour, just go to a golf course, go and practice putting, go and practice chipping. Golfers love a good chat. They might not at first, but once you get in, they will love to have a conversation. So that's kind of what I have been pushing towards. And Colin, I just started YouTube. So I just have my first YouTube video out because I got asked the same questions a gazillion times. So Uh I I would push it on YouTube And it's for straight beginners. Like I've never held a club before or I've gone a couple times with work. I don't know what to wear. What clubs do I need? All those questions. That's what I've decided my YouTube channel is going to be a resource for people that are being stressed. All of a sudden your CEO said at nine o'clock at night, hey, I can't make the charity golf tournament. You're going to take my space. Like what does that mean to somebody that has maybe gone once to a golf course? So yeah, I hope that helps answer your question a little. Absolutely. Well, first of all, you'll definitely have to afterwards share that link to your YouTube channel with a couple of videos on there. So we will share that with our listening audience, of course, so they can see you on there. And yeah, we are living in interesting times right now too, of course, with everybody with social distancing and everybody being at home at the moment when we're recording this podcast uh, and releasing it, that there is this opportunity for us to connect in other ways that we haven't done before. And then once we come out of this, I truly believe that it will be some type of a hybrid between having those real in-person human connections and also using the platforms we have to share and learn and communicate and connect in a more virtual way too. So it sounds like you're already positioning yourself for that. So I'm, I'm very excited for what you're putting out there and can't wait to see that video myself. So with that, Cheyenne, I want to ask you, after you had that epiphany, that aha moment in Spain there by asking the president to go play a round of golf and having them for six to eight hours, what then gave you the motivation or the desire then to become an LPGA certified teacher and then to create the business model that you're spending a good chunk of your time focused? on now. 
So what ended up happening is when I came back to Vancouver, I was doing a lot of contract work, tons with like the NBA and the Canucks, the Whitecaps, just trying to help local sports teams as well as trying to make money wherever I could in terms of sport. And at that time is where I realized that this is something that's natural to me. So my cousin came up to me one day and was like, hey, can you teach me to play golf because I'm in finance and all the guys are going and having meetings on the golf course. But why can't I? It's summer. It's beautiful outside of Vancouver type thing. And I was like, yeah, no worries. Let's go to the driving range. And that's when it hit me. And at the same time, remember the lady I was telling you about, Coach TJ? She had messaged me and said, hey, I have an academy. I heard you're back in Vancouver. Why don't you help me out? And at that time, I was like, um... I don't teach golf. Like I just play it here and there like five to 10 times a year. And she's like, don't worry, I'll teach you. That's when I started to realize I love teaching kids. I loved it. I enjoyed it so much. And the kids loved having me and, you know, it was animated and keeping them entertained. And that's when she guided me and said, listen, if you want to make proper money doing this while you're still doing your contracts, you need to go and get your LPGA certification. Then you can be official and you can charge people the right fee for a private lesson. So I just kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally something just clicked and I went and I did it. Really, she was the one who kind of opened my eyes that You don't just have to play golf here and there. You can actually make a career out of it without having to go pro. And I think that's where a lot of it gets lost. So I've spoken to a few colleges now that are kids that are graduating. And you don't realize there's tons of jobs in golf, like working for the tournaments, working for USGA, for the PGA. You don't see it when you play the game as that's an opportunity to work in it. You don't. And I've had on the podcast people that are running PGA Works, for example, which their platform and their purpose and and vision is to diversify the supply chain and the people working in the industry in that $100 billion a year industry, rather than just focusing on getting more people recreationally playing the game of more diverse backgrounds. The big opportunity is to have more people employed in the industry itself. And it sounds like that's something that's revealed itself to you also. The real opportunity is diversify the workforce and the opportunity there, which lots of groups, like I said, touched on. PGA Works is one, for example, but there's several others out there that, including We Are Golf, that are really focusing on that diversity and inclusion piece to propel that forward. And I think you'll agree with this, that we're just scratching the surface. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of opportunity out there to diversify the workforce also within the golf industry. 100% couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So, hey, I want to ask you this, putting on your entrepreneurial hat now, I'm going to ask you whether it's an elevator pitch or, or let us know what your positioning statement of, of the awesome things that you do, not only with SJG International, but also what you do with golf and as a golf coach. What is your differentiator? What is your secret sauce? And what do you see the opportunity for you that you add with your own personality that perhaps others don't and what you want to accomplish business-wise in the golf industry? So I think the biggest thing that I was keep drumming home is you have to be yourself. You can't be fake and try and be somebody else. So I think people can see right through that. So when you meet me, 
I am definitely a person that has high energy and I'm excited about the industry now. Like I'm fully on board. They keep telling me that a lot of women are in it. They're in it. We're pushing for women, but I don't see it. So now I've kind of taken it upon myself and other women in the LPGA that got the certification with me. And we're like a little force, you know, to be reckoned with. We help each other out. When I go to Orlando, I try and do like clinics with one of my friends over there, Coach Megan. And when she comes here or wherever I'm going, I'm reaching out to other LPGA coaches and seeing if they want to do some collaboration. I think the industry has a stigma, but at the same time, I've kind of felt that People aren't always willing to help each other within the golf world. I don't know if tons of them have been like stabbed in the back or whatever it is. Everyone's very uptight, very possessive about their own students. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And I already have this a lot of can'ts. And I have been a lot more open to, you want to help me? You want to help me? Great. The more, the merrier. The more we can help each other, the more this game grows, the more we can get the message out to make it welcoming for everybody. It's not for only a certain type of person. This game is for everyone. And I think that that message has been lost for years and years and years. So, The first thing you ask a person that's never played golf before, if they would like to learn, they will always mostly tell you the middle class, I can't afford it. I don't have the means for it. And that is actually very untrue because you can go to any golf course or any driving range and putt and chip for free. You don't need to pay anything. You just need a ball and a club. You don't have to have a full 14 club set with you to go. You need a putter and a ball to go and practice putting. And that, as we know, as golfers, is the most important part of golf is putting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that everyone thinks, oh, I have to go to the driving range and crush balls. I want to hit my ball over the fence. Like That is what's been like portrayed as in the game to go and do no you don't need to do any of that you don't need to spend a lot of money you can learn the game in a quite affordable way so that really is my message to a lot of people I'm trying to send a different message to everyone to say you don't need a lot of money honestly if you go out and eat twice what is that like $30 or depending on what you're ordering $15 with $30 you can do a lot in golf so that's kind of the to try and like hit home with people don't go out for one evening and use the $30 and go get a lesson or add up your money and get a proper lesson and then you'll know basic fundamentals I love that so collaboration authenticity that you mentioned there I do my very best in the work that I do on the podcast and elsewhere to embrace those elements also with what we do as my dad always told me a long time ago said the truth is easier to remember than a lie (laughs) That's the same with your personality, right? Just be yourself, just be genuine, just be authentic and see where it takes you. And you've certainly done that. And that excites me, Cheyenne, because I think your journey is just getting started here with where you're going in life and also with golf and entrepreneurship. So I'm so happy that I had a chance to meet you, introduced, of course, through one of our sponsors, which is British Columbia Golf, which is the provincial arm of Golf Canada. And they do amazing things with diversity, inclusion, 
inclusion, innovation, making golf more welcoming and inviting to everybody. And I have a big shout out to our our mutual friend, Chris Jonathan, who's doing a great job there. And that wants me to lead to something that's just been announced in the last little while. And I believe you were on a call earlier today that you are now a board member recently freshly minted for mm-hmm. British Columbia Golf. So could you please tell our listeners a little bit, especially I know mo- most of our listeners are in the, in the US, so it is equivalent to the USGA with what we do. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing with British Columbia Golf and why you said yes to the opportunity to be on that board. Well, first, I feel so honored to be on the board. I'm so excited. A little fun fact, our president is also a woman. So for golf, that's really rare to hear. You have more than two women on a board for golf. Wow. Game changer. And the board is diverse. And I don't know if Chris told you, and I guess when this airs, it'll be probably public, but BC Golf got an award for the most diverse sport in British Columbia. Like when ever thought golf was going to be that sport. Now, we'll have to make sure before you air this that if I'm allowed to tell you that, but it's it's huge. The reason why I took the job was because Chris, who you mentioned, he is an amazing leader. He is also on the same page of helping change the narrative of the game. They're doing tons of initiatives to get younger people, women, and of diverse backgrounds into the game in British Columbia. And that was like music to my ears. Everything he was saying lines up with everything that I mentioned to you earlier and who I am as a person. So as a leader, I was fully on board of what he was saying. But not only that, Chris doesn't just preach it. He actually walks the walk. We were at in Orlando and he mentioned that he was going to be there for the PGA show. I'm like, great, I'll be there. Let's connect. Well, not just connect. He was inviting me to all these places. And if people don't know, Chris is an older Caucasian male. And he invited me to not a conference, but like a round table, essentially, of people gathering into the room. And they were talking about diversity and inclusion in golf. So anyone could attend. And it was hosted by We Are Golf. And to see that there wasn't that many white Caucasian older men there, and that's majority of our industry. But Chris wanted to be there to understand what were some of the issues and what were people feeling that had diverse backgrounds, that you were you know, an African-American woman, this is in America, if you were an Asian-American, whatever it was, if you were weren't a white male, like what were the struggles you were having within the golf industry? So not only was he just telling me all these things, he actually took me to this seminar and I got to speak up. I got to listen to tons of things that were happening within the industry. And at that point, I said to him, you know what? Yes, I would love to be a part of the board because I know that there's going to be inclusion. And speaking about inclusion, we have now the LPGA part of BC Golf. So we have the amateur section in LPGA that is going to be in BC. They finally like signed all the legal documents for it. So we will have a section over here where women can sign up be a part of the LPGA and BC Golf, and we'll host fun, cool. If you want to be super competitive, you can be super competitive and have a tournament. Or you can have different chapters within BC and have a lot more social gatherings, part of the LPGA. 
So, you know, he's not only talking about it, but he's walking the walk. And that to me is great leadership. And that's why I said yes. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And with that diversity and inclusion roundtable, I had the, the pleasure and good fortune of being invited at the PGA show two years ago. I was not at the PGA show this year, unfortunately, working on some other things at the time. So I had the chance with also Dr. Michael Cooper and with Steve Mona, who's been one of our guests too. And both of those gentlemen are the ones that really opened up my eyes very early on, three years ago when I started the Mod Golf podcast, of that grassroots community building through diversity and inclusion. And they introduced me to more people and more people. And those conversations and those interviews and those episodes, I think are some of the strongest that we've done, that it has nothing to do with technology, has nothing to do with the entertainment side. And I thank them for that opportunity. And Chris is one that has spearheaded that. And I think it's time I actually asked Chris if he'd like to be a guest on. He's probably wondering why I haven't asked him. Now I feel kind of bad because I've never asked him before, but I think now I put it out there that we'll have to have him on. And Chris, as you can attest to, Cheyenne, is one of the most empathetic, wonderful humans out there. The fact that oh, he... Oh, it, it, I know. And he's, he's so humble. He's, I wouldn't say he's, well, he's, I wouldn't say he's an introvert, but he's definitely not that big A type personality. And he knows so many people and he never name drops and he's so well connected and just matter of factly will introduce you to people that are unbelievably influential within the golf industry. And again, his sense of humility and grace is something that all of us can certainly learn from. And I'm inspired by, and hopefully I take a little bit of it away from those virtues that Chris has projected and extolled over the time I've known him. Yeah, this it's morphed into a bit of a Chris Jonathan yeah. love fest here. Love Chris. Chris, which I know you'll agree with. He loves to bring people together. Example, the both of us. Wherever he's listening to your story, he's like, oh, I have a person you should, I'm going to connect you with. And again, sends an email as soon as he finishes having a conversation with you. So he is not the person I was talking to about earlier within the industry who's like, this is mine, me, no, this is my student. He's actually trying to break that and be like, no, all of us together, golfers, we love this. Golfers unite type thing. So he is, yes, I agree with you. Everything you said. <laughs> Absolutely. And there is that saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. And a lot of business people, a lot of corporations and, and businesses don't believe that. They have that mentality of we want all the toys in the sandbox, get your elbows out. And it's super competitive. Where I'm like with you, that long-term pay it forward as an investment in building relationships and cultivating trust is by collaborating and supporting each other. And the ones that do are the ones that ultimately will be successful. And I know there is short-term gain by people thinking that if they crush the competition and it's me versus you, it's either or rather than an and. That's not the way that I work. You don't roll that way. And we certainly promote other entrepreneurs and people in business and even in life and even in golf. That's not the way you should approach it, right? Not hoping that someone misses that putt. You know, hey, if they make that putt, then you make that putt too, right? Yeah. Like step up and do better yourself, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, hey, why don't we end with that little golf metaphor I just threw out there? Uh, but before we do go here, Cheyenne, could you share with our audience where they can learn more about you as a golf coach and what you actually do with SJG International so they can find out about uh, all the good things that you're doing out there? Perfect. So it's kind of twofold. One is SJG International is my business that I have in the world of professional sports. So it's events, hospitality, VIP clientele, 
So that's a separate entity of what I have been doing with professional sports teams and Fortune 500 companies. That's one part of it. So you can find me on my website, which is CheyenneJGI.com. And I will certainly include that in the show notes and also in your bio. And also we'll include the next things that you're about to tell us too. Perfect. And then the other half is the Coach Cheyenne, which is the golf part of it. You can find me on Instagram, just under Coach Cheyenne. I have my YouTube channel, which I've just launched and very excited about, also under Coach Cheyenne. My website is being built, but hopefully by the time this airs, it'll be CoachCheyenne.com. All golf-related stuff under Coach Cheyenne. Amazing. Good stuff. Well, we will include that, as I said, in the, in the show notes and on your bio there. Can't wait to see that YouTube channel of yours. And speaking of which, the Mod Golf Podcast, we're just firing up our YouTube channel also. The last few guests that we've had on, we've done a very short video interview. And hopefully, Cheyenne, after this, you're willing to step up and we could do that together also to create a little more content and put a face to the soothing musicality of your voice. So why don't we leave it at that? So Cheyenne, thanks so much for being a guest today on the Mod Golf Podcast, sharing your story, your journey, and all the great things you're doing in business, in life, and for golf and for people to make golf welcoming and inviting for them. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cheyenne Gustasp. If you'd like to learn more, go to our episode show page where we've included additional links and content. I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Golf Genius Software, for help making the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcast fix. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.